Well, good morning. Welcome. Thanks for being together. And uh, if you are brand new here or fairly new within the last little bit, we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. Uh, they're like this big and they're like purplish and pink and I don't have one with me, but uh, you can go online as well, pvcc.info. You can fill out, fill out a digital one there. Uh, and I, we're just thankful to, to be able to still have the freedom to come together, to meet together uh, in the name of God and to honor Him with our presence. Yesterday, appreciate those who uh, made a lot of effort to put on an event in, in the community that just allowed for us to get to know some pretty neat new people and just rub shoulders with people that we've never met before and talk with them and to get to know them somewhat. And so prayerfully, God will continue to use us as a church to make a difference for his kingdom in our community uh, through things like that, but mostly just through you and your willingness to be a friend to someone, to be open with someone about your faith and share with them the truth of God's word. And uh, this morning, that truth is going to come out in a big way. We're going to spend a lot of time reading lots of different scriptures. So it's kind of like Bible drill day where you like put, hold your Bible and then you like say a passage and go and you're like as fast as you can to get there, all right? So we're going to help you out. We've got some digital verses on the screens, um, but I would encourage you to write these verses down. You can go back and read through them. Uh, if you can quickly get to them, get there fast. But there's several things that I want to highlight today. Uh, and when I say several, I mean like... Several, okay, but I'm going to highlight them fast, okay, and so I want you to write these down if you can, and that way they will hopefully stick with you, but the two main things that I want you to get this morning is this concept of the transfer of sin in our lives to the sacrifice, so the first thing that we're going to look at is this transfer, the second thing is the power of the cross, so those are kind of the two main things, if you don't remember anything else, you can go back and look at these verses that we're going to read today, and you're going to think of like, what did he mean by transfer? What did he mean by the power of the cross? And that's what we're going to look at in our short time together this morning. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 15. We only have three more weeks of the gospel according to Mark, and then we're going to move on. And uh, so if you have been a part of Mark all the way through, thank you for uh, sticking with me along those lines as we've gone through the gospel according to Mark. We're in Mark 15, starting in verse 21 through 39. Uh, and before we get there, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul said this, and he said this from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. He said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, the, the cross splits the world into two categories. The categories are either that you look at the cross and you think, oh, that's pathetic, or you look at the cross and you say, oh, that's powerful. It's either pathetic or powerful. And if you think it's pathetic, Paul says you are perishing. It's kind of like when you have milk that you forgot to put away in the fridge before you went on a week-long vacation. And it's out on the counter in the heat of the summer. Guess what? That milk is perishing. All right? It's not going to be any good. It's going to be gross and disgusting. It's not going to smell nice. Uh, and I've had that happen 
Fortunately, we've been able to call people and I said, I think we left milk out. Could you go check our house and make sure that uh, it is not out on the counter? But that's what it means that, you know, eventually you just have to throw it away. It's perishing. And that's those of you this morning that might look at the cross and think it's foolish. Or maybe you know of someone that thinks that. But if you think it's the power of God, you are being saved, it says. And that means that you've been, you've been plucked from the crowd that is perishing. And you've been placed on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. But it's one or the other. You don't just get to kind of ride the fence and, and just kind of be with one crowd and then the other. No, it doesn't work that way. You see, the cross splits the world in half. And this morning we're going to hear the message of the cross And if you've never made the decision to be a born-again Christian, the Bible says that right now, in this moment, you're perishing. That's not me saying that. I don't know where you're at with God, but you do. You know where you're at with God. And if you are not a born-again believer, then you are part of the crowd that's perishing. And you need to look again to find salvation, to be saved from your sins, which Guess what? You can do that today. And I'm not like this infomercial up here this morning, all right? But God's Word is always right there. It's alive and it's active. And it can change who you are. And so this morning, today, you can look at the cross and you can say, wow, that is power. That is something that I can depend on. That is something that can begin to change me and my life. And you can make a decision this very morning to die to your old self and to be clothed with Christ through the the watery graves of baptism in order that, according to Scripture, you might receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That can be done today. Larry just changed the baptistry water out just on Friday, I think it was. Yeah, it's ready to go, okay? And so today, Scripture says, is the day of salvation you can leave this place this morning being saved from your perishing and if you are already a baptized believer praise the lord you and i still need the message of the cross every single day of our lives because a few verses later in first corinthians paul says this he says i'm determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. See, we as Christians can grow in our faith the more and more that we contemplate what the cross really means for us in our lives. And so I want to look at the cross together this morning, and, and I want to allow Mark's gospel to be our guide. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we want to hear from you. We want to be reminded of the many, many blessings that you pour out on us. And one of those blessings is the opportunity to come back into relationship with you as our God. And it's because of the cross and what Jesus was willing to do there. And so may we not overlook that, but as Christians, may we put that in front of our lives each and every day. That because of that, we choose to live a life faithful to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. 
Amen. If you are able and willing this morning, will you stand with me as we turn to Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. And as we read these verses, it may feel like this is Easter morning or something, okay, something to that effect. Uh, we're, we're, we're hitting it here in August, okay, and I hope that you hear from God maybe in a different way because it's a different time of year. And so really hear God this morning. Verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this king of, the, of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Verse 33, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this, his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. You may be seated. Now, I don't have time. This, this passage of Scripture is a passage that we could probably get five or six different sermons out of. And there's a lot of, a lot of information, a lot of important things in here that I encourage you to go back and read through. But again, this morning, what I want you to grasp is the power of the cross. Why is the cross the pivotal moment of Christianity? Why does the cross have so much power for us in our lives. And many of us accept the reality of the cross without understanding maybe why it matters. The cross, in its simplest terms, was a substitution. Back in the Garden of Eden, mankind rebelled against God and they decided that they themselves would be God. And that created a separation between man and creator. And that separation and that rebellion was so infectious 
that it carried on and spread from generation to generation to generation until even today we sit here at times in our own lives in rebellion to God. And in order for God to restore that broken relationship, something had to bear the punishment of all of that evil. There, there had to be a punishment. Something had to die, or we would have to bear that punishment. But that something had to be completely without evil. And the problem was that any born human of a human father would be unable to resist that rebellious spirit, that rebellious nature. And so Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, came and lived a sinless life and died in your place, and he died in mine. And so for us to really begin to grasp why Jesus died on the cross, we need to kind of get some history on the Old Covenant sacrificial system. And maybe you've studied this out, and it's just, maybe at sometimes for some of you, it seems to be, kind of bogs you down, but it's so important. And so I just want to share a few verses from Leviticus chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. And as you go and you look at these verses, Leviticus 16, 20 through 22, it it illustrates this transfer. This transfer that takes place from man to, to sacrifice, our sin to the sacrifice. And you see, God modeled this substitutionary death long before the cross. And so if you want to turn over into the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 16, starting in verse 20 through 22, it says, When Aaron has finished making atonement for the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar... He shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. And as you look at the rest of these verses here, you see what's taking place under the Old Covenant. The sin offering for for the people was taken outside the camp. You see that in verse 27, after laying hands on the offering. And most offerings were then slaughtered, and the blood of that offering was sprinkled on the mercy seat To cover the people's sins. That was the old covenant. Something that had to be done over and over and over, year after year. And if you think about this lamb, of course, we see that in Jesus. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In a sense, humans laid hands on Jesus when the guards tied him up, when they struck him, 
And when they literally nailed his hands and feet to the cross, so too then Jesus, as the ultimate sin offering, was taken outside of Jerusalem to Golgotha, bearing on himself all of our sins. Hebrews 13, 11 through 13, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. See, Jesus transferred all of our sin onto himself. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, like I said, there's a lot of verses this morning. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus bear the guilt for all of our sins. Though he himself was innocent, he took our sin and gave us his purity. God placed the punishment for our sins on him. Isaiah 53, 6 from the contemporary English version says, All of us were like sheep that had wandered off. We had each gone our own way, but the Lord gave him the punishment we deserved. Gave him the punishment we deserved. I don't know if you've ever read that, that story. I don't even know what it's called, but it was, maybe it's called The Whipping Boy. I don't know if it was a poem. I just remember it in school thinking, man, that is a great idea, a whipping boy. I do something bad, and my brother gets the punishment for it. I just thought it was a great idea. And essentially what's taking place is Jesus is taking our punishment, something that he does not even remotely deserve. Jesus died and his own blood was poured out on the mercy seat of the heavenly temple as a propitiation or cleansing for our sin. And that word propitiation, I don't know if I completely grasp it, but it's this big word that means satisfaction to have God's wrath satisfied you see there had to be a punishment for our sin and Jesus was that propitiation that satisfaction in our place Romans 3 25 God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. You see, we have to put our faith in that. You have to decide, do I believe this? Do I care? Does it make a difference? In this life and for eternity, and unlike the animal sacrifices, which had to be, again, done year after year after year, this was a once-for-all cleansing as Jesus absorbed the full impact of our sin. This satisfied the wrath of God against sin. Romans, again, is an amazing book that that talks about this concept of God sending His Son. And in Romans chapter 5, 
verses 9 through 10. Romans 5, 9 through 10 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? We're, we're saved from God's wrath. Amen for sure, because we know God does everything really well, right? Guess what? His wrath, he does really well as well. Yeah? I mean, if we open ourselves up to God's wrath, that, that's super scary. But it says here, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? It gives me goosebumps to think about all the stupid stuff I've done in my life that I deserve God's wrath for. And Jesus was willing to take that for me. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Jesus took our place on the cross, and the cross has great power in our lives because of that. There was this transfer that took place, and there is power in the cross. And so in the time I have left, eight things, okay? Not like 10-minute eight things, okay? But like, three-minute eight things at the most. We're going to move through this quickly. So write these down. The power of the cross in our lives is the first one. There's power to remove our sin. Psalm 103.12, He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far has He removed our transgressions from us. The word remove is a Hebrew word there in the, in the psalm passage. It, the root means to widen. The gulf between us and our sins is widening. We're getting farther and farther away, as is the east and the west. I'm going to talk about this a, a little bit more next week as well. But you can't go far enough east to finally go west. You're just, it, it's, this spance is widening. It's being removed. And so there's power to remove your sin this morning. There's power to blot out your sin. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I don't know if you are old enough this morning, if you experienced this in school, but we, when I got in trouble at school, which oftentimes happened because I was kind of a smart aleck, um, they would write your name on the board, right? So Charles' name's on the board. Ethan's shaking his head, yes, okay. And, uh, and so my name was up on the board, and then if you messed up again, you get a check mark by your name. And that meant something. I don't remember what it was. But then if you messed up again, you got in trouble, there's a second check mark. Pretty soon, like, I think there was like, if there's five check marks by your name, by the end of the day, you're in the principal's office and you're in trouble. You know, your parents are being called type of thing. But blotted out literally means to have that all erased. To remember means to mark. I have to remember things. I, I introduced myself to a couple new people. I had to go and mark their names down. I, in order to remember, it has to be marked down. But that's the opposite of what Scripture says. It says it's blotted out. It's erased. It's removed. God doesn't write down our sins anymore. Because they've all been erased, past, present, and future. Amen? That's exciting to me to know that the cross has the power to do that in our lives. The cross has the power to redeem us. That's the third thing. The power to redeem us. 
Romans 3.24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption means to release through a price paid. There has to be a price that's paid in order for there to be a release. And the price for our release from the punishment that's due us because of our sins was the death of Jesus. He paid that price. The cross has the power, the fourth thing, to do away with the old covenant. No longer are we under that law, that sacrificial system. No longer do we have to continually year after year have these goats, these lambs brought before the altar of God. He did away with the old covenant with its sacrifices and laws when the curtain was torn in two. And so now we don't need, again, these animal sacrifices to cover our sins since Jesus cleansed them once for all. Hebrews 10, verse 10. Hebrews 10, 10. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, the cross has power in our lives, power to do away with the old covenant. The fifth thing, power over death. We don't have to fear death, physical or spiritual, because we have life in Jesus Christ. Romans, again, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Romans is an amazing book. They're all amazing, but it just kind of reminds us of what Jesus did for us. Romans 6, 6 through 11 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lived, he lives to God. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about death in this life. We have something so much better to look forward to. We, we have hope that no longer do we have to live in sin and the death that sin brings, but the life that Jesus brings through our willingness to die to our old selves and to be raised in newness of life. There's power over death. The sixth thing, power to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into a relationship with God. Reconcile means to restore to a prior state of harmony. And in the Garden of Eden, there was harmony with God. But because of that rebellion, that harmony was broken. And ever since then, we have done as Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 22, Paul says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's just, once again, goosebumps. I don't like living my life in guilt. I don't like thinking about if somebody else has something over on me, like they could accuse me of this because of this area that I've messed up in my life. Scripture tells us that because of the cross and the power that the cross has, we're reconciled back into a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, the Creator of the universe, and that we are without blemish in His eyes, that we are free from accusation. The seventh thing, the cross has the power to make us His children. Galatians 4, 4-7 through But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship or daughtership. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. But God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The cross has the power to make you a child of his, a daughter of his, a son of his, and that you don't have to worry about being a slave to sin anymore because you are now a child that has something so much better to look forward to. You are an heir, H-E-I-R, not an E-R-R-O-R, okay, almost messed that up. Okay, we're not errors. We're not mess ups. We do mess up. But God loves us for who he's created us to be in him. And so we have eternity with him to look forward to. And the eighth thing is that the cross has power to set free from the power of sin. Some of you this morning may have come in here with a lot of baggage and you're struggling with sin in your life, whatever that might be. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you that the cross has the power to set you free from that sin. Sin has no mastery over you. God is bigger. He is stronger. He is mightier than any sin that you might be facing. And the cross has the power to set you free from that. Romans chapter 7 verses 4 through 6 says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. You have a responsibility to bear fruit with your life. Because the other is true in verse 5 it says for when you were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. There's fruit that should be happening in your life. It's it's either going to be fruit for death or fruit of the spirit for life. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Jesus, on the cross, stood in your place before God 
and God poured out that wrath that you deserved, he poured it out on Jesus. Even though Jesus was sinless, he was perfect. He didn't deserve that punishment. But praise God that he was willing to go to the cross for you and I. And that life which frees you, that life that's offered to each and every one of you this morning, that can only come through the cross, that life, as you grow in that life more and more, that your old self is done away with, and this new life becomes your identity in Christ, that life prepares you for eternity. As we spend time here in this, on this earth, this time is spent preparing for eternity. And what are you doing to be ready for the day when Jesus comes again or you stand before him on judgment day? See, none of us earned that free life. None of us earned that life, and yet it's being offered to each and every one of you this morning at no cost to you. No cost to you. There was a high price that was paid, but there's no cost to you. Would you say this morning that the cross is pathetic or powerful? And I pray this morning that you see the cross as powerful in your life. As the praise team comes, I just want to share a true story from Max Lucado's book, A Love Worth Giving. Max writes, Lee Lilpai is a retired firefighter, a New York City firefighter. He gave 26 years to the city, but on September 11, 2001, he gave much more. He gave his son, Jonathan Lilpai, was a fireman as well. And when the t- Twin Towers fell, he was there. Firefighters are a loyal clan. When one perishes in the line of duty, the body is left where it is until a firefighter who knows the person can come and quite literally pick it up. Lee made the discovery of his son's body his personal mission. He dug daily with dozens of others at the 16-acre graveyard. And on Tuesday... December 11th, three months after the disaster, his son was found. And Lee was there to carry him out. He didn't give up. The father didn't quit. He refused to turn and leave. Why? Because his love for his son was greater than the pain of the search. And can't the same be said about Christ? Why didn't he quit? Because the love for his children was greater than the pain of the journey. He came to pull you out. Your world had collapsed. And that's why he came. You were dead, dead in your sin. And that's why he came. He loves you, and that's why he came. God isn't going to give up on you. 
Scripture says that he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of his grace. And I just wonder this morning, as you look at those last verses of our passage of Scripture this morning, verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. You have to make a decision. Is that what you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? No one's twisting your arm to believe that. You have to decide. Because if that's what you believed, if that's what you believe this morning, then you have to surrender yourself to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And maybe you've never experienced the power of the cross in your own life because you've never submitted to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if that's a decision that you need to make this morning, we'd invite you to come. Will you stand with us as we sing?